Faces come and go and I'm forever grateful Come and tell me long and slow exactly what I wait for Better times, yeah, better times, somehow I don't believe it I built a house up long ago just to up and leave it Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever are proud to be a part of a brand new coalition. Kansans for Conservation. Or here it is, folks, the brand new acronym in conservation, KFC. Yes, you can remember that one. Not Kentucky Fried Chicken any longer. Kansans for Conservation. Conservation. Working collaboratively with a whole bunch of groups, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever is part of this coalition to secure sustainable funding for wildlife habitat, water quality, agriculture, access, and outdoor recreation across the state of Kansas through a brand new legislative initiative. Joining me on today's episode of On The Wing Podcast to talk about this exciting and critically important new initiative are Ariel Wegard, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's Vice President of Government Affairs, who is just on another podcast uh, with me, and Jordan Martinchich, who is on... I, I got it. I nailed it, didn't I? Uh, what were you last time? Like a, a year, right? I think it was about a year yeah. ago, and that was an episode with Jim Millencipher from right. the Kansas Ringnet Classic. Glad to be back, and glad you've been practicing my last name. <laughs> I don't remember, because I, I think this is episode 249 or 250. Did I butcher your last name before? No, you were close. And <laughs> I, I was 15 before I learned how to pronounce it correctly, so I know, you I have grace. I talked about it. <laughs> Well, you know, I've, I've been with PF almost 15 years now, so you should know how to say it by now, I Bob. should. I should. Well, so, um, your title, to properly finish the introduction, Vice President of Development and a Kansas native, and you pronounce it Martinchich. Correct. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about this with you, Ariel, um, and I was like, you know, I've never asked you exactly how to pronounce your name, and I hear Mar- Marilyn pronounce it Ariel. And I pronounce it Ariel, and then I didn't even get to your last name. Like, how do you pronounce your first and last name? Uh, my parents pronounce my first name Ariel, so Ariel. you have it right. Okay. Uh, but Ariel is fine. I won't hold it against our CEO for mispronouncing that. Well, uh, she probably didn't know either, right? Like, do you go with the Disney version or the, the non-Disney Disney version. version? Okay. But not the Sebastian version. He's got that, you know, Caribbean <laughs> accent. <laughs> <laughs> or Caribbean accent, depending. <laughs> right. um, tomato, so that, tomato, potato, potato. Yeah, that could screw with the pronunciation. Um, and then last name uh, is my husband's family. It's Dutch-German. It's Wegard. Okay. Or so I Wiegard. got that right on it, too. Oh, well, I didn't put that. You don't need there. to put the German flair on it. Robert so. Saint-Pierre. Ariel <laughs> Wegard. I like it. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I'm not even going to try it, Jordan. <laughs> I don't know a Slovenian accent, Bob, so. Oh, I've let this go off the rails instantly. Already. <laughs> yeah, well. What you haven't else? even gotten started. What would you expect? Um, just for folks that 
didn't hear each of you on previous episodes of the podcast. Jordan, let's start with you. Just a little bit of background. You mentioned you've been working for the organization 15 years. Uh, I, I mentioned you're a Kansas native. Fill in some gaps there, like where you grew up, um, what you know, where you went to school, kind of your background. Sure. Well, there are a few gaps. Um, as you mentioned, I am a Kansas native, have lived in Kansas pretty much all of my life. Currently live in Overland Park, Kansas, which is a suburb of Kansas City. Um, thinking about when this episode is going to air, hopefully the Chiefs will still be reigning <laughs> Super Bowl champions at this point. Okay, folks, there's your uh, NFL m- um, mention at four minutes and 15 <laughs> seconds. Um, I'm married to a wonderful woman, Denise. We have a son, Graham. Uh, we are an English setter family, which is really important to highlight. You're outnumbered on this episode. I know, I know, but I've got to represent the pretty dogs, right? I uh, somewhat take offense to that. <laughs> well, not that yours aren't pretty. It's just that setters are a little prettier, okay. maybe. Yeah, we wouldn't consider ours ugly dogs, would we, Ariel? Oh, no, absolutely not. No, they're not like the wire hairs, right? <laughs> exactly. They take great pride in being called ugly dogs. They do. They do. Um, as you mentioned, I'm vice president of development. Uh, I've been with the organization for 15 years. Started out actually in a volunteer capacity with one of our local chapters. Eventually started working in the chapter services function of the organization and then jumped into development where it's just been awesome to work with our donors across the country to help them make a difference for our Upland Wildlife Conservation Mission. And that's still what uh, I do today, working on the philanthropic arm of the organization. And from an education standpoint, um, proudly, I just recently completed an executive MBA over the summer at Rockhurst University and learned a lot in that education journey that is helping me help this organization continue to be successful. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, What's the most a memorable thing you learned in your executive MBA? Hmm. There was a lot. Um, It's hard to try and pick one thing. I learned a lot from my classmates in the cohort who Mm -hmm. were all, um, you know, executive type professional folks. Mm -hmm. The thing that I, I think I learned most, you know, personally on the journey was to trust myself. Mm. And just, you know, be confident in in my abilities. Um, There was a a pretty significant leadership track to that. And um, they really put you in a position to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. And so that was one of my biggest takeaways was, you know, trust yourself. And here's the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes trusts himself, doesn't he? I think we all trust in Patrick and Kansas City. <laughs> all right, so here's uh, 200 plus episodes in. It's my first Taylor Swift question. Um, <laughs> I mean, folks, what do you expect? It's I've, I've got a squirrel's mind. Um, as a person living in Kansas, Kansas City, watching. Uh, this football team who's been terrific the last couple of years. Like, what's your reaction to all the coverage of the connection between Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift and just sort of the change in the focus on the Chiefs? I think it's it's become fun. I yeah. would say at the, at the beginning, the amount of coverage that it was getting, at least for me not being a Swifty, mm-hmm. it really wasn't kind of my thing. 
Um, but it's kind of plateaued and leveled off. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a fun dynamic now. It's like, oh, is, is Taylor going to mm-hmm. be at the game? And it's fun to see her in the box enthusiastic with, about with it. family of, of the other players mm-hmm. and, and rooting on the team. I have a, a, a Taylor Swift story for you personally that I'll drop well, in here. Well, absolutely. This, that's, uh, that'll go viral. So, th- this, so go ahead. Well, maybe, maybe not. So this would have been in like <laughs> 2006, seven, eight, somewhere in there. I don't know exactly when it was. But uh, my wife and I went to see George Strait in concert mm. in Kansas City. And he had two opening acts. Mm. And uh, the opening, opening act was Taylor Swift. And at that point in time, no one knew who she was, um, you know, really young. And she gets up on stage and she has her guitar and no band, just her, her guitar and her songwriting. And she performs and the whole time she's performing, like no one's paying attention to her. You know, I'm talking to, it, it was my fiance at the time, now my wife. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know who this is, but... You know, I don't. I don't know that they're going to have a career in music, <laughs> and so apparently, uh, I'm not a very good uh, judge of uh, musical talent. Well, yeah, at least you can admit it. <laughs> uh, I had a similar story. I saw Brad Paisley at the Minnesota State Fair. I don't know, ten, fifteen years ago. Taylor Swift was the opening act, and phenomenal. You know, just. Um, I, I I didn't make any predictions one way or the other, but uh, there's no doubt about the talent there. And it is fun. Uh, I think the level of kind of excitement around the connection with the Chiefs. Um, <laughs> so there, there's a left turn. Ariel, you want to get in on that? Are you a Swifty? I, I am not a Swifty, and I have no Taylor Swift stories. <laughs> I am completely useless to this conversation so, right now. All right. So I uh, – you know, r- give us a little bit of an overview who for folks that um, didn't listen to the, you know, the, the deep dive into your background and your vision for government affairs. Just fill in some gaps on who you are and uh, what you do for the organization. Sure. Yeah. Well, I am not Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologize to everyone for that. Um, I live in Virginia with my husband, our three-year-old son, and two German short hair pointers, which are the best of all of the bird dogs. Go team GSP. Um, and I work primarily in Washington, D.C. on federal policy, but of course, as vice president of government affairs, um, you know, part of my work is supporting our advocacy work around uh, in the states at the state level as well, which obviously we're talking about today. Uh, professionally, as a, br- a brief rundown, I've been at Pheasants Forever and Quill forever for, I guess it'll be about six months when this airs. Yeah. Uh, so I'm still very green. Um, but prior to that, I worked in agriculture and conservation policy for about a decade and was a uh, campaign and nonprofit fundraiser before that. Um, so definitely have a kindred spirit here with Jordan in the room, which is good. Um, I think there are a lot of overlaps between the skills that you need for fundraising Mm. and for lobbying. Um, Jordan's putting some of his skills to work in Kansas right now. And, um, you know, I kind of went the other way, went fundraising to lobbying in Mm. D.C., um, but it's good. You know, it gives a, a pretty holistic view of um, the policy landscape, but also the political landscape, relationships, how to build connections and coalitions and that type of thing. Yeah, you, you categorize yourselves maybe green with the organization, but you're not green in this environment. You've been no. working in this for a long time, whether it's Soybean Association or uh, Syngenta, TRCP. You've got a really decorated career leading up to this point. Yeah, thanks. Um, it's been 
10 years ago, I joined a TRCP. So um, that was my first gig in sort of the private lands conservation space. It's where I got to know pheasants forever. And so it's, uh, it's, it's really nice to be here now. I sort of always felt like I would end up here and, um, and I have. So that's and you're a GSP yeah. owner, so it was a natural fit. It was too. a natural fit, yes. Um, all right, so we're going to talk about Kansans for Conservation, the push for sustainable conservation funding in Kansas. And a couple things for clarity. You know, sustainability is a word that get u- gets used a, a lot in all sorts of ways. And so for f- uh, we're going to kind of break down what this means from a legislative perspective, but also what it means on the landscape. And... Uh, the way I've thought about this organized, it is kind of your traditional who, what, when, where, hi, why, how. <laughs> but we're going to rearrange that a little bit. Um, and we're going to start with the what. Um, so for folks that are hearing sustainable conservation funding, let's start with the what. We'll start with Ariel. And can I explain what we're talking about for folks that you know, maybe don't live in Kansas, why they should care, and what, and, and folks that do live in Kansas, what, what does this even mean? What's the basic overview of this concept? Sure. So, um, I mean, just to get back to the core of it, you know, conservation mm-hmm. of our lands, of our natural resources, whether you're talking about a, a Virginia farm or a private ranch in Kansas or, you know, the backcountry in, in the high desert, you know, conservation is a, a, a societal good mm-hmm. it's something that we all need to invest in these places provide you know habitat for the birds and other wildlife that we chase as hunters recreation opportunities for all kinds of people who love the outdoors clean air clean water carbon sequestration timber forage for livestock energy that powers our homes and our cars you know the, the list goes on and and we really need to protect and steward these resources um unfortunately though uh, just because there's you know, an inherent goodness to doing that doesn't mean that you can just do it for free or you can do it for cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a, a farmer to start a new conservation practice can be cost prohibitive if he wants to keep farming in the future. And, uh, you know, on the other hand, getting getting people or uh, equipment, you know, deep into sage country, uh, sagebrush uh, country to manage invasive trees, you know, that can be very, very costly. And so, you know, there are private organizations that have a a very large role to play. um, And they do. But we need dedicated, sustainable, public funding to meet all of our conservation needs across the country, you know, to to benefit all the people who live here and work here and play here. And a huge part of our advocacy efforts at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever is focused on growing that that dedicated funding pool. Mm -hmm. Um, so Jordan, now, you know, we have that foundation, like we need funding to put habitat on the landscape and as Ariel mentioned, all sorts of, you know, natural resources benefits, you know, at the top of the pyramid for our organization is, you know, upland habitat for pheasants and quail. But when you plant that habitat, as we've talked about over and over and over, it creates, Habitat for pollinators, monarch butterflies, waterfall, cleaner water, healthier soils, um, you know, a more sustainable uh, rural economy because of access and, you know, all sorts of reasons that sustainable funding for natural resources can benefit the greater community. So now the complication 
always comes into how do we make that happen? Because it's it's mom and apple pie, the concept, right? It's like, well, shit, yeah. Like, why wouldn't we want cleaner water, more habit, right? Like, yeah. who, who's against that? You know, the communists. That's about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody against clean water. So, But... It's then you get into the debate of how how we fund it. How do we do that? And that's where the why comes in. Explain how this got rolling in Kansas. Yeah. So how it got rolling was about six years ago, uh, a group of conservation minded leaders from around the state of Kansas got together at a table in the Flint Hills and started talking about this. Uh, It had been a discussion that has been going on for about 20 to 25 years in Kansas. Hmm. And when you look at at the surrounding states, Missouri, Nebraska, Colorado, all of those states have an existing stateside sustainable conservation funding mechanism. So there's a familiarity with it. Missouri, Nebraska, and Colorado all have it. All have it in some form. Okay. The structure of it's different. Um, You know, from a historic standpoint, Missouri was – really led the way on this front. Um, they had a constitutional amendment back in the late 1970s. Mm-hmm. And so the people in Missouri have been making investments in Missouri since the late 1970s. And you can see the success of that. Um, they have great opportunities for people to go out and enjoy the outdoors across the state of Missouri. Their facilities are great. Their parks are awesome. And you know it's really a testament to what this can do for a state and the people within that state. So as, as you're six years ago, this concept starts bubbling with a group and they start talking about why. Uh, so what's that conversation? So, you know, when you think about the why, you know, there's any number of things you could look at. Um, obviously, from a Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever standpoint, um, the decline of grasslands, the decline of pheasant populations, the decline of bobwhite quail as a result of losing grasslands across the state is a priority for our mission and our organization. It's a priority for me as a pheasant and quail Mm -hmm. hunter. But then, you know, in addition to that, all the benefits that grasslands provide, you know, some of which have already been mentioned, clean water, carbon sequestration, protecting our our reservoirs, our riparian areas, providing opportunities for outdoor recreation. And then in addition to that, the soil of Kansas is so vitally important to the state. Hmm. Uh, We are an agricultural production state, and we have a lot of fragile soils across the state. And putting our landowners in a position to ensure that those fragile soils are not blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years ago, I was out in southwest Kansas, and there was a field that didn't have any residue on it. And it was in January, we were bird hunting, and I got a little taste of what the Dust Bowl might have been like. Um, completely blacked out. And this was a quarter section of ground that had no residue on it. I couldn't see the hood of the truck mm. until we drove out of it. And so, not that we're on the precipice of that, um, but to ensure that we don't have a catastrophe happen like that again, we need to make investments and position landowners to have the agricultural practices that are going to not only benefit their farming operation, but benefit wildlife, benefit our soils, and sustain the economy of Kansas. And and that's, I think, one of the dynamics of this that doesn't get talked about enough. Hmm. When you look at something like the Kansas state seal, for example, 
this goes back to the late 1800s when the, they developed the seal. The seal has water on it, it has grasslands on it, and it has agricultural on it. Mm. And those were vitally important to the people of Kansas at that time. Mm -hmm. Those have been the things that have helped Kansas be successful, and those are going to be the things that help sustain Kansas going into the future. So as far as the why, we as Kansas need to bet on Kansas. Mm. And this is a way for us to do that, to invest in the things that make Kansas great and are going to position the state to be successful for many, many, many years. Mm. That's really well said. You think about, uh, you know, you mentioned the Dust Bowl in, you know, when you learn about it in school as a youper in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, Kansas is the epicenter of where the Dust Bowl take, took place. Is that, when you think about it, Ariel, like that's, Kansas is what comes to mind, right? Kansas is absolutely what comes to mind. And, and you know, what, what's been good about the last, oh, 60 years has been things like the Conservation Reserve Program, right? Keeping habitat on the ground, which keeps soil out of the air. And that's a little bit about what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, that, that is. You know, getting more grassland habitat on the ground is a good thing for Kansas. It's a good thing for wildlife. The other dynamic to all this is uh, the, the water aspect. Mm -hmm. uh, not only do we need quality and quantity of water for people to drink and, and use in their homes, but from an agricultural production standpoint, the Ogallala Aquifer covers a big part of western Kansas and being able to sustain that water resource in some form so people can continue to irrigate and have success producing crops is a dynamic of this. You know, you think about things like directing money towards plier restoration to help with recharging the aquifer mm -hmm. or something like Pheasants Forever's Corner for Wildlife program where we're enrolling center irrigation pivot corners and grasslands, turning off the end gun. It's uh, making sure that we're not using that water resource. It's creating great grassland habitat for pheasants and for pheasant hunters. So, you know, as far as all the different benefits of it, uh, there's just a litany of potential outcomes that would be great for the state of Kansas. Okay. So I'm going <clears> to <throat> back up a moment. And, you know, you talked about the state's neighboring Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, Colorado, having dedicated funding or sustainable funding in some sort of mechanism and I'll bounce to Ariel, you know, just in researching for this podcast, you know, it, there's a stat that 35 out of the 50 of the country or states in the country have some sh way, shape or form of funding mechanism that drives a revenue stream towards conservation is sustainable or dedicated way. Um, Give us kind of an overview of how that works and, you know, how varied they are and, like, what's the premise for that? Yeah, so uh, the, the basic premise there is that, um, you know, for for states to do deliberate and thoughtful conservation often requires long-term thinking and planning. Um, but that is not always compatible with the financial or political realities on the ground in any given state. So the result is that in these 15 states and others before that, before they put their own dedicated funds in place, they were facing a situation where they had inadequate funding, inconsistent funding, 
um, they would start initiatives and have to stop them. It was just really touch and go and really spotty. And, and again, as a landowner or a land manager, it makes it very, very hard to plan and, and you know, plan for your future. All that is compounded also by the fact that, you know, some of the traditional sources of revenue that states have turned to for conservation, like hunting and fishing license sales or federal gun and ammo taxes. Pittman Robertson. Exactly. Yep. yep. All of those sources of revenue are, are kind of going away as we lose hunters. It's a it's a big reason why we work so hard on hunter recruitment efforts is because we need to recharge those coffers with with those recreation dollars. Um but the result right now is that in a lot of places, the the outdoor recreation dollars are not sufficient to, to meet our conservation needs anymore. So we have to turn to alternative, mm-hmm. new, innovative approaches. Um, you know, states have gotten very creative mm-hmm. in, in figuring out how to do this. Um, some of the things that we've seen, they offer special license plates. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get a pheasant, pheasant's forever license plate. Or There's a, one on my truck. See, there you go. Um draw from from lottery proceeds mm-hmm. um tap into sales taxes sometimes on outdoor recreation equipment broadly mm-hmm. you know thinking about all of the people who engage with the outdoors but may not do so in a consumptive way um you know they want to uh, tap into those sales taxes on you know tents and and hiking equipment binoculars for bird watching that type of thing um as we're seeing marijuana legalized around the country, we're seeing uh, marijuana sales taxes tapped for conservation dollars, which is pretty cool and exciting for us. And and all of this has been extremely lucrative, bringing I mean literally billions of dollars in private investment and federal matching funds as well into all of these states. And so that's something that Kansans have have really been missing out on, and and what incentivized this this whole idea. Um, a couple of things here in Kansas that I think are really important to note, um, you know, this uh, program would not create any new taxes. So I use the word tax a lot, mm-hmm. um, marijuana taxes, um, you know, outdoor equipment taxes, hunting and, and fishing equipment taxes. This program would not create a new tax. Um, we're proposing to redirect funds from existing public revenue streams towards conservation efforts. So the money would go to the Kansas Department of Ag uh, Conservation Division, would go to Kansas Wildlife and Parks for wildlife, um, the wildlife division, and then also the parks division, um, which they could then use to leverage federal and private matching funds as well for ag conservation wildlife needs across the so state. So that's a really important component too that a lot of a lot of people don't quite r- understand, right? So when there's state dollars, whether it's um, money that's coming in from let's say, pot for public lands, right? <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Um, sports gambling, like, uh, or, or part of the uh, sales tax, if there's a, uh, or lottery funds, if there's a tab that's going towards Habitat, that opens up huge opportunity to pull in dollars from the federal government, whether that's maybe VPA HIP money, uh, voluntary public access Habitat, incentives program you got it um which can open up private lands for public access it can incentivize landowners to do improved habitat work on their property the point is with states to jordan's vernacular betting on themselves in kansas part of that is pulling in dollars significant dollars from the federal government to come back to the state to do good things for habitat water quality uh carbon 
public access, all sorts of things. I didn't mean to stop you, but I did. I think that that's something that you know maybe the general um, upland bird hunter doesn't always understand. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's critical and something that, as I, as I already mentioned, as Jordan alluded to, Kansas has been missing out on. Mm-hmm. Um, the federal dollars alone, you can get a two times, three times, four times match just from the federal government uh, to do private lands or public lands conservation work. It also attracts private investment as well. So the number of corporate investors who want to invest in these types of projects, you know, food companies who want to improve their supply chains, for instance, mm-hmm. They see efforts like this underway. They know that there's dedicated funding. They can build it into their marketing, marketing, or, and, and sustainability uh, practices. In exactly. Their own yep. Right. And so, not only are we attracting those federal dollars, but we're also attracting private dollars to to the state and to these rural communities as well. Hmm. Um, tell us about the timeline right now in Kansas. Um, has there been? Are the revenue streams identified, or is that where we are? We're sort of figuring out how it's going to. Um, it look look like on a bill. Jordan. So the the revenue streams have been identified, yep. and uh, the way that the the coalition is looking at this is there's the front end of the bill. Hmm. The front end of the bill is the thing that's going to create all of the conservation outcomes, all of the opportunities for landowners to participate in vol- voluntary conservation programs, and address all of the the resource needs that we've identified. Our priority is the front end of the bill. Hmm. We've identified a need for about $63 million a year, and we have identified potential funding streams. Uh, One would be the the Kansas Lottery. One would be uh, redirecting um, the state-side excise tax on outdoor equipment, hunting and fishing gear, and directing that towards conservation. It's historically gone into the general fund. Hmm. And then we've identified a couple of other pools where we're cobbling the funds together. And as Ariel mentioned, this does not create a new financial obligation for the people of Kansas. So the front end of the bill is what's important. Um, The legislators, if they value the front end of the bill, wherever the money comes from on an annual basis, it doesn't particularly matter to the people that are involved in driving this forward. We want to create the conservation outcomes. Mm. Uh, It's been six years in the making, as you've mentioned, and I'm happy to report that we had a bill that was introduced in the House this past week. Oh, wow. The bill number is House Bill 2541. Uh, Rep. Blex introduced it, and we actually had a hearing on January 22nd in the House Ag and Natural Resources Committee. Um, The cool part about the hearing was it aligned with Kansans for Conservation's Day at the Capitol. We had Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever represented there. Some of our volunteers and donors came in to participate in that. And then there were 80 people total from a diverse group of stakeholders from across the coalition. So there were people there representing Kansas corn growers. There were people there representing Ducks Unlimited, Hmm. the Nature Conservancy, the Kansas Ringneck Classic, and on and on and on. The coalition itself, we have over 34 entities that are participating as active coalition members. And again, it's a really diverse group. Uh, We've got agricultural represented, Kansas Farm Bureau is involved in this. I mentioned the, the grower group, Kansas Corn, Kansas Wheat Growers, Kansas Soybean Association, uh, private sector investment from 
General Mills. We have utility companies that are part of the coalition. And we're so actually, let me just stop you there just yeah. for a second. So it's real intuitive that an organization like Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever would be a part of Kansans for conservation. KFC, folks. <laughs> right? I mean, like, yeah, no, no, no kidding. Right? But you've mentioned a whole bunch of agriculture-oriented groups. Say a couple of them again. Kansas corn, uh, Kansas wheat growers, and Kansas soybean. And and you some commodity corporations. You mentioned General Mills. General Mills. They're all supportive mm-hmm. of this concept. Give us a the elevator speech as to why. I think the why gets back to what I mentioned earlier. Kansas making investments in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them understand the need for us to have sustainable natural resources. Um, specifically water. Uh, water is, is a big topic in Kansas. It has been a long time, and it will continue to be a huge topic. Right. So what are the actions we can take as Kansas to ensure that we have sustainable water supplies that can help supply the people in our urban areas with water resources, provide places for people to go recreate on if they're into going fishing or water skiing or whatever it is? Right. And then, again, um, the agricultural community's reliance on water is paramount to the state of Kansas. So you think about um, a utility like Evergy, for example. Um, They don't just, you know, charge the people who need their electricity, um, you know, the money and do nothing with it. They have to make sure that they can sustain their operation to provide reliable power supplies. And then you start thinking about, okay, well, how do they do that? Well, we have a couple of coal-fired power plants in the state of Kansas. We have uh, one nuclear power plant in the state of Kansas. All of those require water Hmm. to produce electricity. So if you want to go into your office or your bedroom at night and turn the light on mm-hmm. in kansas we need water hmm. to to provide that resource and then um you know you think about the water utilities obviously that one makes sense and then you know from a general mill standpoint they see the need for water as a successful component of agricultural production so i you mentioned um you know something earlier kind of like oh you know this is kind of like apple pie in mm-hmm. a way yeah and in it, it i like is. cherry better but yeah i, I, I get prefer, your point i, I prefer cherry with a <laughs> scoop of vanilla ice cream on it so it's like cherry pie it's like cherry pie um but i think that's why you know more and more especially as we continue to gain momentum mm-hmm. um we have really tried to prioritize as a coalition getting private sector interest in it Mm -hmm. because it's really easy for someone who may oppose this type of thing to look and say well of course pheasants forever wants this Mm -hmm. it's going to direct more money to their mission or of course ducks unlimited wants this but when you have the farm bureau the growers groups private sector investment in it it that really helps us make a strong case absolutely that the people of kansas as a whole are invested in this concept yeah the other thing you think about just one layer um, beyond this too, like, yeah, they need water to produce power, need water, clean water for, you know, um, uh, water utility. The one layer beyond that is they need employees and they need people that enjoy living, living in Kansas, the quality of life. And part of that is having wild places and public access and places to fish and places to see birds. Um, and that's part of what this 
is doing at a deeper level too. Definitely. I mean, especially post COVID, uh, yeah, we saw how right many on. people migrated from major metropolitan areas and are working remotely and they're, they're choosing the places that they live based on their ability to, to recreate in the outdoors and have a good quality of life. And this will create quality of life outcomes for all Kansans and for future generations of Kansans. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just follow up on something that Jordan mentioned or or just on the coalition piece that Jordan mentioned, you know, something that that comes up often when you say conservation, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in in parts of the country that are really dominated by private lands is that people get worried that this, that, or the other initiative is going to be a land grab, Mm -hmm. right? They think that the money is exclusively going to be used for, you know, turning, taking private lands and, and turning them public and, and, you know, stealing land from farmers and ranchers. I want to point out, you know, the breadth of the coalition here and and the inclusion of the farm groups, I think, is a, a really strong indicator that nothing about this proposal is forcing conservation on anyone. Right. Mm-hmm. This is just helping, um, you know, to to provide incentives to farmers and ranchers who already want to do this work, but find it cost prohibitive. You know, this. Um, you know, we're, we're working, as Jordan mentioned, with a lot of the commodity groups at the Kansas Farm Bureau, you know, to make sure that their members as well know that the bulk of the funding is going to be used to incentivize them mm-hmm. to help them achieve their natural resource, um, you know, goals for their operation to voluntarily incorporate more conservation, more habitat, more hunting access into what they're already doing on the farm. It's, it's going to make their operations more successful creates a win-win-win scenario for farmers, ranchers, hunters, rural communities across the state. There's a great quote from Aldo Leopold about, and I'm going to butcher the exact quote, but it's along the lines of, if the private landowner is not incentivized to do great things for wildlife habitat and conservation, if they're not incentivized financially, it's not going to happen. It's it's got to be voluntary and it's got to be lucrative enough to be a viable option to improve that habitat on that property and the land private landowner has to look at it and say oh yeah this makes dollars and cents i'm leopold didn't say it exactly like that but that's sort of the thrust of what he said back in the 60s in the sand county almanac and it's really still true today absolutely the bulk of this is to be used for voluntary incentive-based conservation Go ahead, Jordan. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, I don't want to get too much into the weeds on the mechanics of the how the bill is structured, but I think this is an important thing to emphasize. So Ariel mentioned it earlier. The vision for this is that it would create a state conservation fund and then resources would be directed to Kansas wildlife and parks for wildlife practices, fishery practices, parks practices. And then the other 50% would go to Department of Ag Division of Conservation. What we're proposing is not that those entities just get blank checks. Mm -hmm. So we've looked at how this is working well in other states. Uh, Minnesota has a really great model. So so does North Dakota and have been thoughtful about how we wanted to structure this. And so the vision is that those resources would flow to those states and be administered by those departments. And then the money would be directed out through a competitive grant process annually. So nonprofits would have an opportunity to apply for grants, um, cities, municipalities, um, anybody that has a vested interest in trying to create and deliver conservation outcomes. Mm -hmm. And then the beauty of that kind of gets back to what Ariel mentioned earlier, that private-public partnership 
Well, to be competitive in, in these grants, you're going to need to bring some financial wherewithal to the table. Right. So we start talking about a number like this creating $63 million a year for Kansas conservation. That's the minimum threshold. Mm. And you think about all the partnerships that will be formed to address conservation needs and all the entities bringing private sector dollars to the table and then leveraging that $63 million annually into much more for the state of Kansas. Right on. All right. So, Bill recently introduced. Yes. So, there, there is an opportunity here for listeners, particularly those in Kansas. Uh, if you live in, you know, North Dakota, Minnesota, probably got to sit this one out. <laughs> but if you live in Kansas, you can contact your elected official and say, hey, I support Bill 2541, correct? Yes, you can. Um, it's all up live on the website. Uh, the hearing that was on January 22nd, all the details related to that hearing will be there. Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's written testimony is available. And, and that's a great call to action. You know, I would say if you have uh, a personal connection to a legislator, it, especially in the House, hmm. and you can reach out to them, let them know that you're a member of their district, have a personal touch, express why this is important to you as a Kansan, that can go a long way. The other thing is make sure to pay attention for action alerts. So not only from Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, but from Kansans for Conservation, from any group that you're involved with that is promoting information on this important piece of legislation, there will come a time when we need everybody who's committed to this to take action and to let their legislators know that this is important. So I would say just be prepared mm. for that day coming. Um, we're still really early in the legislative okay. process. The bill was just introduced. We just had a hearing. Uh, so we're kind of in a window right now where we're waiting on what the, the next step is related to how the legislature is going to move this forward. And if we were to get this to a vote on the House floor this year and it, and it passed, then we'd have to go through the process again in the Senate. So we have a long way to go here. Uh, the other thing to know is that historically, these things take a little bit of time. So we've been working on it as a coalition for six years, but now we're really into the public sphere side of it. And it could, lightning could strike, Well, but it, it's probably going to take us a couple of years to get this thing across the finish line. Okay. So just know that we're, we're still kind of at the beginning of the journey, but we have a lot to get excited about because we have a piece of legislation in the House right now that if passed and then passed again by the Senate is going to do some really cool stuff. Ariel, if folks are listening and you want to leave them with a lasting thought, maybe they live in a state that isn't Kansas. How can they learn a little bit more about this concept in, in their own state? Yeah, so probably the easiest way for uh, for listeners to learn more about what's happening in their state is to just go online and search for dedicated conservation funding in mm -hmm. my state. I actually tested that this morning, and uh, it was geolocated, and it worked really well, and it told me everything that was happening in Virginia. Um, you know, there are loads of resources available online. There are coalitions like Kansans for Conservation that are working day in and day out to grow these programs push them through the legislature, get the money out to landowners. Um, 
but outside of going online, I would say the next best thing you could do is reach out to us. Yeah. Uh, anyone can contact us anytime. We've got a form on the website. You can also email us directly at advocacy at pheasantsforever.org or advocacy at quailforever.org. And we can help you answer your questions and get you plugged into uh, to any similar efforts happening in your state um, and answer your questions on this or anything else policy related for that matter. Yeah, right on. Jordan, put a bow on this for us. Well, um, you know, Bob, I am in the philanthropic function of the organization. So to add on to what Ariel already said, I would say another way you can help with this is to support Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Go to the website, pheasantsforever.org click the donate tab and make a gift because organizationally we're investing a lot of time and resources in this effort in Kansas and we're going to continue to do that until we get this thing across the finish line and then beyond that mm -hmm. um, there's all kinds of state and federal advocacy needs that we prioritize as an organization and it takes money for us to be able to pursue that and to advocate for conservation practices on the behalf of all of our members, partners, and supporters, and everyone who cares about grassland conservation. Um, I think to kind of put a bow on the, the KFC discussion today, I'm going to tell a little story. So uh, I grew up hunting in northeast Kansas in a, an area where there was a lot of CRP and a lot of pheasants. This was in the mid-90s when I was introduced to this landscape, and it was not uncommon opening weekend to pheasant season to go to Maryville, Kansas. Hotels are packed with standing reservations, communities full of hunter orange, all the cafes are full. And after opening day, everyone's back at the hotel cleaning limits of birds on the tailgate. And at that point in time, this was something that I thought would never go away. Hmm. And I still hunt that same landscape. Um, in fact, I took my son up there after Thanksgiving and there is no CRP on the landscape anymore. And there are no pheasants. Mm. We saw one hen pheasant the entire day that we hunted. And uh, it just really makes me sad for what the future is gonna look like for people that enjoy the outdoors and wildlife in Kansas, knowing that my 11 year old son will, will probably never experience that um, in that landscape unless we're able to move something like Kansans for Conservation forward and, and get this legislation across the finish line. And just personally as a Kansan, um, that's not a future that I desire for my son. Mm. I want my son to be able to have wonderful experiences in the outdoors in Kansas and for his children, if he's so blessed to have kids, to be able to do the same. and. You know, when I was walking that road, when I was 11 years old in Kansas, there were pheasants everywhere. And when he's walking that road after Thanksgiving, there are no pheasants left in that landscape. And it's, it's, a, it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing, but it's a great story for why the organization exists and why this is incredibly exciting. Um, kudos to everybody in Kansas that's moving this concept forward. I've, I've witnessed it firsthand, similar concept in Minnesota, and it's, um, it's an absolute gem to have dedicated funding for conservation here in the state of Minnesota. It's cleaning our waters. It's creating habitat for all sorts of birds we cherish, all sorts of wildlife we cherish, and um, it's, it's something that's a gem that I'm super proud of, and I hope uh, 
one year, two years from now, um, Kansans can be super proud of the investment they've made in themselves um, through Kansans for Conservation. So, folks, check it out online. It's it's House Bill, Kansas House Bill 2541, Representative Blacks. Blacks. Thank you very much for introducing it. That is a huge move getting it uh, in front of the legislature and moving. So check it out, folks. If you are listening in Kansas, please contact your elected officials and let you know, let them know you support sustainable conservation funding in the state of Kansas. I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks, folks.